Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Days after a shooter walked into a grocery store to gun down African-American patrons, we have another Sandy Hook on our hands. What are we doing? There have been more mass shootings than days in the year. Our kids are living in fear every single time they set foot in a classroom because they think they're going to be next. What are we doing? Why do you spend all this time running for the United States Senate? Why do you go through all the hassle of getting this job, of putting yourself in a position of authority? If your answer is that as this slaughter increases, as our kids run for their lives, we do nothing. So there you have it, guys. We, you know, we set out yesterday uh, and we thought we were going to have uh, that the big story of the day would be the primary elections. And that's what we scheduled this Hacks on Tap episode to discuss. And then another 18-year-old gunman, deranged gunman, uh, invades a school in Texas, kills 18 kids two teachers, 19, 19, 19, now. 19, yeah. 19 kids and two teachers and a security guard involved as well, but 19 just angelic kids. And uh, I saw a picture uh, uh, this morning on, on TV of a 10-year-old taken hours before he was killed, holding yeah. up his honor roll certificate with a big smile on his face. And it just, it breaks your heart. But Gibbs and Murphy, you know the answer to what Senator Murphy was asking. The high likelihood is they will do nothing. Am I wrong about that? Well, one, no. I'm, I'm I'm tired of the words, you know, the trite political words. I've just the whole thing. I'm I've got a second grader, and I'm just in a rage. And I think a lot of parents and citizens and civilized people are, and the odds are they won't. But if there's enough public outrage. If people are screaming mad and stay mad, because what they say in the gun world is, you know, it's one bad week and then things move on and sales go up. So the question is, nobody, the polls show us that nobody, even NRA members, a narrow majority, nobody doesn't really support stronger background checks. Right. There is a bill. And if there's enough of a donor riot, if corporate America gets activated and if rage is just channeled, uh, at the Senate, uphill, usual politics won't happen. But I, I think usual politics are no longer acceptable. And so I'm for radicalization. I, I'm for that, too. But we being hacks, we, we're supposed to be the hard-bitten realists. So yeah, let's Hard turn, to do today. I mean, I'm a hard-bitten realist about let's get Murphy, brutal with Murphy, the Murphy, Murphy, let me just say I am completely with you. Two weeks ago, I was in the classrooms of my seven-year-old and five-year-old grandchildren. And all I could think of yesterday when the news broke was them and their classmates and their their little innocent, excited faces. And the idea of someone coming and snuffing their lives out is sickening. Uh, so I'm, I'm with you. But Gibbs, you're a yeah. hard-bitten realist. Tell yeah. me what's going to happen. Well. I, I, I'm reminded of both what happened around Sandy Hook, where I had much the same feeling, Murphy, that you probably had yesterday and, and Axe, you had the other day. When you, when you first hear that news, you want to run or drive as fast as you possibly can and put your arms around your child inside of that school or right outside of that school and just make sure they're safe. I, I think if the politics of this are ever going to change... Sadly, it's going to be around an event like this. I, you know, was hopeful like many after after Sandy Hook that something would happen. You know, I, I think, and I, I think Durbin said this well yesterday uh, to Punchbowl News that um, you know if if the news can't change it, a persuasive speech is almost certainly not. I hope the bar in this case is at least some sort of red flag law of which there's a bipartisan bill, Senators Blumenthal and Lindsey Graham, 
you know, that, that would, you know, if it, it, law enforcement would have the ability to take away the guns of somebody that had had made threats, that's been a huge benefit to law enforcement in Florida after uh, what happened there a few years ago. Yeah, Parkland. Yeah, Parkland. And, and I think, you know, that, that to me is the bar. I don't expect that they'll do a ton more. I don't, I, I, you know, the, 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 the NRA is in Houston this week for a big convention. I, I think you'll, I, I think to your point, Murphy, I, I fear that this will get moved off of the front of our news diet just as quickly, if not more quickly than ever before. Let me just do a quick interjection here. I, look, yeah. I agree. I'm a hard-bitten political guy, too. I know the NRA is strong. People are cowards in primaries. But history is full of things that couldn't happen. They couldn't get the troops off Dunkirk. You know, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't. And so I agree with the prognosis, but I think right now the prognosis, I would encourage people to ignore all that and try mightily. Schumer's going to yeah. have votes. There's no reason somebody listening to us in the cubicle right now can't write their pack and their employer and say, I'm never going to give another goddamn dime to the corporate pack, no mm-hmm. matter what my boss says, if you support these people. I mean, at every level, there's a way to raise hell in the short term. And e- even though there there are a lot of barriers to it, politics does react. I think red flag laws and the background check legislation that's bopped around a bit. I mean, Pat Toomey, right. who's retiring, made a courageous vote on that. In the end, it got him reelected. So I agree it's uphill, but I wouldn't I wouldn't tell people it's hopeless because right I now agree. it deserves a crazy, uh, unbridled no attempt and with everything we got. No, yeah. you're, and you're right. And you're right. You know, and bottom line is, you know, when Murphy asked this question, you know, what are, what are we doing and why do you go to this trouble? They go to this trouble because they really like the job. They like power and the incentives are misaligned. So if it becomes politically burdensome to do nothing, right, pain, then they will do something. And so you're absolutely right, Mike. And I, mm-hmm. I'm completely with you. I mean, look, I cannot stand the fact that we live in a country that is unlike any country in the world where we have more guns than people. We have an epidemic of gun violence, not just these mass shootings, but shootings generally. And the answer we get from some of the uh, folks who are uh, beholden to the gun lobby is we need more guns. If the teacher was just armed in that classroom, she could have taken out that kid with yeah, a, no, an insane. AR-15 and uh, in body armor. And it's a, a, insane. But I will tell you, I, I, I emailed with a Democratic senator this morning who I really trust and who's very honest. And I said, uh, what are the odds of you doing anything, you guys doing anything? He said, zero in present circumstances. If we had capabilities to go relentlessly after NRA, that might change. But ours have no fear of our offensive capability because beyond episodic emoting, we've got none, and they know it. And that goes to your point, Mike. I mean, we have to go beyond the episodic emoting and turn that into some sort of meaningful action that gives politicians reasons to rethink their positions. Yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. And I normally don't quote Sonny Corleone in moments of horrific, <laughs> but you act like him violence, but, but no, and with all respect to your thoughtful Senator friend, enough with the peacetime democratic senators, you know, explaining why they're going to lose. I don't want to sound like a Bernie guy here, but fight, 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 fight. And right. the NRA has never been weaker than it is today. Yeah, no, I, in fairness to this senator, I have no doubt that he will fight. Okay. I mean, I don't think he's not fighting. I think it's his uh, faith in his colleagues that is is uh, lacking, but I don't think there'll be any lack of, of, uh, of yeah, fight. I, I understand, and I'm sure he or she is a good warrior in the cause it's just there's so much analysis of certain failure that it's just a bad psychology to have i'm a bit of an expert on the nra actually wrote a movie about it for hbo i know a lot of people have worked there uh, worked with them in campaigns in the past they've never been weaker than right now Mm -hmm. right internally right so strike murphy to your point I, i i agree if you're outraged this morning call somebody call a legislator Work your way up the food chain, start in Congress, start in the state Senate, start wherever you want to or you can. Uh, I, I agree that 
these times have to feel different. The thing that drove me just as crazy yesterday as anything else is you read statements about this being unconscionable or unimaginable or incomprehensible. It's none of those things. It's all of this stuff is very comprehensible. It's it's not unimaginable. It happened two weeks ago. And I, I agree with you, Mike. You push people to do more. We won't know or see this as much. To me, what has to happen next is the quiet work of getting this done. Mm-hmm. What, is, what does Chris Murphy do? You know, does Chris Murphy go to Pat Toomey? Does Richard Blumenthal, who's got the red flag law, go to Lindsey Graham? Does Do any of those come to those guys? It, to me, I, I think there's two battles here. Um, one will be the quiet work of trying to see if you can get anything done. And then, you know, then it will just be... If they can't and if people won't work, then they'll put, uh, you know, Schumer moved two bills onto the calendar last night, which sounds semantical, but it's the beginnings of setting the Senate up for having to vote on these things. Hopefully, the Senate can get to some place where it will vote on something as small a chance as it would be. It's a, a, some ability to, to, to act and to make some progress and to just impact one of these shootings. I don't think anything's going to solve all of them, but just impact one right. of these shootings. Well, let me let me let me just say I hope that Schumer is moving them onto the calendar to try and provoke uh some action and not to try and uh, have a show vote so that they can be used against individual senators because that's what people think happens in Washington. Yeah. They think that we have these performance votes that are meant not to solve a problem, but to help advantage one party or the other in the next election. We can't, we can't afford that here. And, 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 you know, one thing that may work in favor of getting something done is you do have a bunch of Republican senators, Portman, uh, Toomey, Blunt, Retiring, yeah. Burr, and maybe you can cobble those together with senators who have shown some gumption like Romney like, you know, Collins and, and Murkowski, who is running right now. So that's a, an issue. But uh, maybe uh, maybe there is enough. Maybe there is enough. I hope that that is right. I hope that that is right, because we, we have a sickness in this country. The president was right about that. But let me ask you guys about that, because, um, you know, I spoke to some folks in the White House and their attitude was, you know, we can't we can't put up these votes like on abortion because then we lose and we look weak. And I wondered as I watched Biden last night, and I thought he was very affecting, you know, because he, you know, no one understands the horror of losing a child more than Joe Biden. And you could feel that in his words and his whole um, affect last night. But I wonder, and this is crass politics at a time when crass politics isn't probably that appropriate. But, you know, everything seems to feed this sort of narrative of weakness and futility, like inflation and and gun violence, and we're pouring money into Ukraine as we should, but, you know, the bloodshed continues, and, you know, the border, and, and, and I just, I don't know how he gets out of this. Well, let me let me let me pick up on something that Murphy just that said a second ago. I mean, I think if your psychology is that losing a vote is weakness— then it's weakness. I agree. I agree. Max, you and I used to get in fights with collegial fights with folks in the White House about losing votes as being a sign of strength. I mean, they were physical fights, but only with open hands. Right. Yeah, it was a lot of kitten swipes. Right, exactly. (laughs) Right, a lot of kicking. Um, But I I think you can lose a vote in a very strong way. I think you can lose a vote in a very honorable way. And I think, quite frankly, I mean, if you want the issue to go away... Then you know what? Assume that losing a vote's weakness and don't have a don't have no, a vote. No, I'm with you. That, that's the th- I yeah, mean, I mean, the know. staff is so wrong. I'm on your yeah. side, brother. I'm on yeah. your side. That that's how the Biden staff got him in the in the flatlining political position he's in. Here's how you lose this vote. You don't let Schumer just throw it out like National Turnup Day is a press release vote. You have a six week timetable. You do some hearings. The president of the United States says we're going to have a vote in five weeks or whenever the countdown clock is. And I'm asking 1 million parents to march on DC and bring your kids. Yeah. I mean, you boil this thing as hot as it can be. I I, I would have called, I would have called last night on Schumer to put these bills on the floor as soon as, as 
is procedurally possible. Or bring the leaders to the White House and have have a discussion about the fact and, and lay this out for them. In five weeks, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk out at 8.15 tomorrow right. morning and we're going to start this process. We're going to have this clock. I mean, look, Joe Biden is... Joe Biden's the last person that's been able to do this. Now, I'm going to get granted this is a long time ago, but the 1994 crime bill had the Brady bill in it, had the assault weapons ban in it. None of those are going to be on the table. Let's be clear. The world has changed a lot since that time. But go out there and have a fight to Murphy's point. Have a march. Get people into this, because the challenge of this is. The world will move on. We will be outraged about something else in five days unless there's some level of continued outrage on this. I I guarantee you we will be. Yeah, the message cannot be exhausted futility because that is pouring water on a bonfire that could affect change. And it's the only shot. And so take it on on a massive level. Yeah. And again, go after money. Money is what they understand. Get make corporate America take a stand on this, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, let we have an election to cover, so I think maybe we'll focus our rage on that. Uh, moving on, because it was quite a night. Donald Trump got his ass kicked in multiple places in multiple ways, which is a little bit of a cat bites dog story in, in the modern dynamic of the Republican Party, and it's worth a look. I guess we start with Georgia, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important. I think there's no doubt that he got his ass kicked last night. I mean, uh, what were the final numbers in, uh, in, you know, in the governor's race? He's gone from the apprentice to the biggest loser. (laughs) I just want to commend Murphy for sitting on that line for 18 minutes. Okay, well, we're commending (laughs) Murphy, and that'll have to be a special episode, starting with my inflation (laughs) warnings a year and a half ago. But who's been saying Kemp would slaughter the Trump guy here for a long time. You have, Mike. <laughs> I mean, no, there's no no doubt you've been yeah. saying that. I mean, look, that 74% is an, is an incredible number. And yep. a bunch of it is attributable to the thing that Mike said, a, a, you know, a long time ago when, when uh, Trump threw his hissy fit in Georgia during the special election there, which is Kemp's a damn good politician. Very adroit. And he uses the power of the governorship. And one of the things that's emerging here is that governors are more defiant than than legislators because they have their own tool kit. Yeah, well. <laughs> and they know how to use it. Hundreds you know? of billions of dollars in COVID money that they get to distribute doesn't hurt either. No, but they, you know, they know how to leverage that power. And yeah. uh, Kemp is a past master at it. Uh, but the, the thing that shocked me was that uh, Raffensperger, yeah. who, who was, you know, I mean, Kemp, Kemp has not in any way engaged Trump. He has not denounced Trump for his election position. He has not, he has completely navigated around Trump. Raffensperger, I mean, they all voted for, you know, they all pushed election, so-called election integrity bills and so on. So they covered themselves there. But Raffensperger was a guy who openly defied Trump in the most aggressive possible way. And he uh, counted those votes. A, and uh, yeah, exactly. He count, he counted the votes. He did his job. And, and, he, and, he ref, he. and he refused to tuck an extra 11,000, whatever the number was yeah. in there to ensure a Trump victory. But he, he wins against Trump's candidate, Congressman Jody Heiss. And he without wins a runoff. without yeah. a, without a runoff, runoff in right. a four person race. Completely shocking. Yeah. Slap down. Sh- shocking. In some ways, this is very, I mean, if you look at the history of Georgia over the last two years, the one thing that Trump has proved, and I think it will be interesting to see if or how he possibly moves on from this, rehashing the 2020 election has now been a dead bang loser in multiple Georgia races. Yeah. They lost two U.S. Senate seats because the whole runoff was about the fact that voting didn't count and they stole your election. Now, all while a public service commissioner on the Republican side was being reelected in the runoff, right? He makes this total runoff about uh, uh, about the 2020 election and loses every race, every major race that he gets involved in in Georgia. It, yeah. Georgia's proved this is a dead bang loser yeah. of a message. Here's the nuance that I think is important because no nuance everybody, needed. so everybody, there is a nuance. <laughs> there, there totally is a nuance, which is that, you know, very few people, even Raffensperger, you know, he didn't exactly pitch his campaign around his belief in the integrity of the election. All people, the message is 
Republican voters want to move on from that. They don't want that to be the focus. It's not that they don't accept the uh, the the uh, the myth, the lie that the no, last no, that's what I was saying. Well, I don't, no, no, no. You, you're you both nuanced wrong. my. Uh, oh, go <laughs> ahead. Tell us where we're both wrong because I thought I was right the first time and didn't need the nuance. But I'm. I'm hold on. Let me get out of. Hold on. Yeah. Let me get out a fresh, clean sheet of paper and a pen. Go ahead, Murphy. Tell me where I'm wrong. Hey, well, you guys are in the Republican Party, so you need a little guidance here. You're 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 in baseline math world. No, you're you're not totally wrong. You're 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 both right. But there's a bigger thing going on. The lesson here is if you want to fight Trump, you don't do it from the parking lot across the street from the stadium. All these guys ran on. Biden is a disaster. The border is way out of control. Mm-hmm. The Democrats yeah. are running wild. So you you operate on the same grassroots conservative degrees of populism playing field as Trump. You isolate him. So there's no other grip on you other than Trump's crazy stuff, which is where you're right. You know, talking about relitigating the election because people know that's crazy uncle me, me, me stuff. But none of these guys ran as country club. Let's all get along. Uh, you know, bipartisanship is good. Republicans. Now, Raffensperger is the bravest guy in the world, along with Liz Cheney, because he did directly take on Trump, but he was an acceptable Georgia grassroots Republican who actually got credit. He did run on. Sometimes you got to do your job and do the right thing. So, you know, nobody, even, even Kemp, Kemp, Pre-Trump, during Trump, has always been very comfortable in the grassroots conservative world of the Republican Party, which is why he was able to out-wrestle Purdue so easily. So, you know, the lesson is, I think David was getting at this, as long as Trump is running on ego craziness, candidates who are in some of the other same conservative grassroots ideological space and are credible, actually do their jobs, can count to 10, look like they're not crazy— uh, that's where the time to move beyond Trump energy takes over, and Trump Trump becomes pretty significantly depowered. And I'm sure DeSantis and uh, Cotton and everybody else who's hum and hail to the chief in the shower every morning really noticed that. And this is going to be a learning moment for the, the potential primary opponent. Well, the question is whether it's a learning moment for Trump. Because oh, I, you I know, doubt it. He's I crazy. mean, uh, the the fact that nobody really nobody was engaging him speaks to the fact that he's still a colossus in the Republican world. And if he put his name on a ballot today, and all those guys ran, I mean, you know, in a weird way, the more people are emboldened to run for president on the Republican side, if Trump wants to run. That's probably good for him because they have you guys have uh, winner take all primaries, and if yes, you have right. fourteen candidates, he's yep, going to probably be time. the nominee. So right. uh, in that sense, you know, any sense that oh, you know, he's he's weakened, I'll run is it, it could in a perverse way help him, but it also if he if he were rational, if he were rational, he would look at this and say, you know what, uh, this whole vengeance tour is not helping. Although there will be other races. I mean, we, you know, I fervently hope I was at the Profiles and Courage dinner on Sunday and saw Liz Cheney accept that award. And I fervently hope that she wins that primary because she has shown political courage. That's an uphill fight. It's a different dynamic, though. I'm with her, too, all the way. But that is the direct engagement, because when the Republican tribe starts thinking you're more interested in pleasing the New York Times and David Axelrod and Robert Gibbs than you are fighting the good cause, you're done. And that's that's the problem there. None of the Georgia guys did that. How did I get lumped in with the New York Times, by the way? What's yeah, up? How did I get lumped in with the New York Times? Come well, on. That's, that's, you know, you're, you're all you're, cartoon villains to the Republican base. They're on to you guys. <laughs> that, that Auburn hat you're, won't fool it's them. sitting on your coffee table as you jump on your Peloton bike and all of that stuff. We know who you are, Gibbs. Yeah, yeah that, that's me. That, that, that fake Southern drawl doesn't, that yeah. fake Southern draw doesn't, doesn't fool Cheech us. Cheech eating pearl clutching Prius or, or Tesla driving. I don't email Maureen Dowd, Mr. Yeah. Axelrod. <laughs> so so Al, Al Franken, uh, I saw him, he was at the University of Chicago recently, and someone asked who the funniest member of the Senate was, and he said, other than you, of course, and he said, Lindsey Graham, and everybody kind of, That's no, true. it is true. And he said that he once uh, said to Lindsey, Lindsey, if I were if I were a voter in South Carolina, I would vote for you. And he said, just before he could even finish the sentence, Lindsay said, and that's my problem. 
So uh, that's you're right about Liz. I mean, I'm not sure how that all uh, uh, sorts out there. But you know, one thing about Georgia, I think when we dig into the turnout, I mean, there was a colossal primary turnout. Uh, there were last in the last primary, Amy Walter tweeted this morning, the last primary, six hundred and seven thousand votes in the Republican primary. This time, one point one eight million. Uh, I'll get to the Dems in a second. So it almost doubled. And I would guess that a fair that there is a significant group of voters who are independents who chose to vote in the Republican primary right. because they wanted to help Raffensburger. So he, you know, he did actually get rewarded for Well, Democrats did too. That, that might have saved him from the runoff. It's quite exactly. possible that gave him the margin. Democrats are bragging that they had voters participating in the Republican. I don't remember did I didn't read who it was for, but it might well have been Oh, I'm sure it was for Raffensburger, yeah. you know. I don't think it was for Kemp. There also uh, there also was an increased Democratic vote which is interesting. There were 555,000 voters in 18, 708. So the increase was much less pronounced. Uh, but it, it's interesting, given all of the hand-wringing about the, the, the voter integrity law in Georgia, and I think it's a tribute to the way Democrats organized, you know. We talk about that in the Hacks on Tap newsletter that's soon coming out. There's a good piece on uh, of that in the Washington Post. The uh, voter integrity yeah. law was morally horrible and will be corrected, I hope, in the future. But there were a lot of ways to vote, and it might have had a net negative effect because people are pissed and they made sure to vote. You know, it might I think have become that's what a messaging happened. item. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we should just be – I'll use the same analogy I'm likely to use in the newsletter. I mean, I, we should just – we should point out that just because they removed the number of fire exits from leaving the burning movie theater that we should be exalted that people got out is not exactly the measure by which we should do this. This is what allowed Kemp to wiggle out of some of his Trump vikes, right? It was, mm -hmm. he didn't believe that the election was stolen, but he wanted to make it harder for people to vote. And he didn't make it harder for people to vote. That's clear. It's a, well, Raffensperger, Raffensperger as well, let's be fair. Uh, they both did. And that, that gave them a fig leaf for those voters who were uh, concerned about uh, the 2020 election. Yeah, I'm just saying that, I, I'm just saying that yeah. Democrats and, and a lot of people probably spent a lot more money teaching people how to be able to vote this time. But I think we should just, you know, and and, and you've all said it, but it, it's it, it's still a disgusting law, even if more people voted. Well, I mean, the, my concern about the law has never really, I've always felt like uh, it created organizational barriers that Democrats would have to overcome and minority voters would have to overcome. I, I was less convinced that, you know, this was as uh Biden said the new Jim Crow and so on. I, I thought yeah, that's that what I they, thought. they would. But the thing about this law that is most concerning is yet to be tested, which is not voter uh, the county commission suppression, stuff. but vo yeah, voter. It's voter nullification. It's you know, it's not just whether voters can cast a vote; it's whether they can be confident that the vote they casted is counted. And if you have a, a politically motivated legislature with the influence to try to remove through their agents remove local election authorities because they don't like what's happening and because they yeah. don't like no, the verdict. No, I agree. It, 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 it is the big open question. Now let, let's jump to November and then we, we ought to talk Alabama and Texas. Yeah. So do we think, or do you guys think the next stop on the governor Kemp dream crushing tour is Stacey Abrams in the general election? Can she beat him? Look, she, she lost narrowly. She would, you know, she, she herself had questions about the, the, the way the last election was administered because Kemp was the administrator. Uh, but she lost narrowly in what was a really, really, uh, strong democratic year. Yeah. As opposed so, to. This is not going to be a strong yep. Democratic year. So, you know, you'd have to say she begins as an underdog. She has prodigious political skills, uh, but this is going to be a very uphill fight. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, uh, Trump has done Kemp a favor because uh, by going totally. after him as he has, uh, he's in some ways certified him for those kind of suburban swing voters. And they're going to have to fight back against that, uh, the the. Uh, the, the Abrams campaign uh, to to claw some of those voters over. Yeah, I, it will be interesting to see. One of the things that Stacey Abrams has done is spent 
literally a decade investing in getting people to register, getting people activated. I think they realized that, to your point, David, that we, we're in a markedly changed political environment than we were four years ago or three and a half years ago. And, and But I also think Georgia is a slightly different state. I think you'd have to give Kemp, you'd have to say it's a lean Republican race at the moment. But I don't discount the fact that somebody with her political skill and with a state that is that is changing, you know, I, I think she's got a fighting chance in a way that's probably better in many ways than a bunch of the states that we're going to look at over the course of the next few months. I, I think she's got a, ser- a as you said, a, a superior set of political skills, and 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 she'll excite voters. We should before we leave Georgia. There were two. Uh, there were a couple of congressional races that have some augurings for Democrats. One was this. Uh, campaign where uh, Lucy McBath and Carolyn Bordeaux, two Democratic legislators, were thrown together in the suburbs of Atlanta. McBath, who had more progressive endorsed Elizabeth Warren and so on, really crushed Carolyn Bordeaux, who was one of the nine moderates who wanted to detach the infrastructure bill from the Build Back Better bill. Uh, And so that was a victory for the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. But in Texas, there was a uh, primary between Henry Cuellar, a nine-term incumbent conservative in South Texas, the only, I think, pro-life, anti-choice uh, representative. I don't like the pro-life thing, because, it, but anyway, anti-choice uh, representative. And he had a uh, rematch with a progressive candidate there, Jessica Cisneros. That race is razor thin, but Looks like, according to our buddy David Wasserman uh, over at Cook, that Cuellar may hang on, which is a big surprise. He'd been raided by the FBI during this campaign. But this became really, I mean, the, 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 the House, Pelosi, and all of them sort of closed ranks behind Cuellar. And uh, I think a lot of people expected him to lose. He may win. So th- there may. could be it's a really split tight. verdict. Yeah. Well, it tells you something about that area. And it tells you something about the power incumbency. I mean, he had that yeah, deep, yeah, that. deep, beyond just the Dem base. Jim Clyburn got involved in this race in a big way, got involved in the Georgia congressional race, the McBath race right. that you were talking about a second right. ago. I think what's interesting in this is, and I've got the votes up in front of me, I mean, a, a virtual identical number that participated in the runoff as participated in the primary. So there wasn't a big drop-off, maybe a, a, a few hundred. Quera wins the primary by 767 votes, leading, according to this website I'm looking at by now, 175 votes. I, I One of the things I'm going to be interested in is to see, and you, you mentioned that there's the political real estate of this, but you know I think some people thought that the leaking of the Supreme Court decision on Roe might impact this race in a big way because of Cuellar's stance on choice and Cisneros's stance on choice. And it doesn't look like there was a huge change in the number of votes cast or the support that Cisneros had. And that's probably overthinking it to some degree, but I'm interested in in seeing how that dynamic played out, particularly in a Democratic race like this. We should point out this is still a toss-up race going into November. And I think whoever came out of this was going to have and is going to have a really hard time holding on to this seat for Democrats. Yeah, Cuellar has some Republican support. He's the classic case of an incumbent with deep roots. And, and it, you know, there's larger implications for this, which is uh, the, the changing nature of the, the Hispanic electorate, which had been considered a strong bastion for the Democratic Party, but they're socially conservative. Yeah. And, and Cuellar more reflected that. Well, I think we've all worked in Texas to some degree. And, you know, you see this a lot. You know, Democrats are admonished, particularly by operatives in the Hispanic community, that, that Democrats all too often look at Hispanics monolithically. Well, right? they, they go to identity, the, the false yeah. Democratic move everywhere, every time, every situation. Yeah. It's why they blew Dade County uh, if for Biden, yeah. and it's why they may blow, Looks uh, they blow these primaries and they're starting to blow general elections. It's the, the, the Democrats are in as much of a thought bubble as the Trump Republicans are. And uh, they, they need to like break out of it and understand people on a voter yeah. level. Better. Hispanics have been socially conservative there for a long time. Right. And, they're, and they're, they're not, you know, it, immigration isn't the first issue on their minds. Right. 
Well, in South Texas, in, in South Texas, if it's on their minds, it may be for stronger border. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's know. a different, you know, people have to, it's, it's, a, it's, it's definitely more nuanced. Um, I just, one, one footnote on the Georgia race, Lucy McBath came to politics because she lost a son to gun violence. And that's, uh, yeah. so it's kind of, it's striking that on this day, another mass shooting should take place. Before we bury Trump, uh, and trust me, I'm, I want to be there when we do. No one's burying Trump, man. I'm not. No, but, um, we should point out since we're going to cover since we're covering Texas, Ken Paxton right. won renomination yep. for attorney Big. general, uh, basically two to one, sixty eight thirty two uh, over George P. Bush. Maybe the end of the Bush dynasty, or at least a temporary yeah. derailment of the Bush dynasty. Uh, not really a close race in any way, shape, or form. Paxton had the endorsement of Trump. Uh, I think both of these two candidates tried to get it. So, uh, you know, Paxton blows him away. Imagine how well he would have done if he weren't under indictment. Well, that that is the real story. Paxton is far from a exceptionally good option. Yet (laughs) the 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 Trump thing, I I mean, I think uh, it's 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 tricky. But uh, George P. played a little too clever by half on the Trump side. And had the worst possible outcome. Yeah, he did. He did uh, seek the Trump endorsement. You made clear that he was unlike the rest of his family. He was a Trumper, and yeah. you know it was a it was a, a Faustian bargain that didn't work out uh, for him. But he at the end of the day, you know, this is really more, uh, also about not just these two candidates, but a style of politics that you know yeah. there was a sense. I mean. You know, as conservative and George P. took some very kind of conservative positions, you know, you see these stories from the from the uh, state and Republican voters saying, you know, I just think the Bushes are too liberal. And so, you know, this was about the franchise, not just about him, which um, has so as broader implications for the Republican Party. And you, Mike, as someone who worked with his dad, Jeb Bush must be particularly sensitive to that. Well, it's complicated. You know, they're patriots. A lot of the others aren't. But I think George P. was too clever by half with the whole Trump thing. And, yeah. you know, he, he's in a political environment where primary voters are looking for reasons to reject people for being ersatz in the in the Trumpy stuff. But uh, he's a talented guy. I don't think we've heard the last from him long term. And maybe Jebby will run for governor of Florida, uh, my favorite candidate. So let, let's pivot to my old home state for a minute because uh, we got a few tidbits we should handle on the way out here. Are you guys following this Michigan ballot yeah, access man. thing? Yeah, it man. is something else. So you have Gretchen Whitmer, disclosure, old family friend, running for re-election as governor, in trouble, not great numbers, bad Democratic year. And so big-spirited right. Republican primary, unfortunately, is somebody who was involved in the heyday of the Michigan Republicans when, with Governor John Angler, we won <laughs> three times. Uh, a lot of ham and eggers running against her, but a few of them could have a real shot. There was former Detroit police chief, a guy named Craig. There's a, you know, a, a industrial tycoon. There's a car dealer, a whole bunch of them running. There's a pundit, pundit, whatever the proper pronunciation is, uh, name, kind of a cool name, Tudor. Can't remember her last name. Who's got some good supporters. So anyway, there you are. And now, after Mark Brewer, the crafty old Democratic war horse out there, who you guys probably know, filed a Denver. complaint. Yes, yes, we it do. It turns out their signatures to get on the ballot. You have to submit, I don't remember, 18,000, whatever whatever the number is, 15,000. 15,000. Yeah. Um, they'd hired paid petition signers, which unless there's close supervision is always a tricky thing. And a bunch of the signatures are allegedly, but the Secretary of State seems to think so, fraudulent. Yeah. So Craig, who was kind of the weak front runner, and I can't remember the quality control guy, uh, older guy who's the self-funder, disqualified. 
not getting on the bat. Now there'd be a big legal yeah. kerfuffle. John Yob, who's kind of the ham-fisted uh, local consultant there, is claiming it's all a Democratic plot uh, howling on Twitter. But it's a disaster because it's going to be one of the double ham and eggers now is going to be most likely the nominee. Not that in this environment they still don't have a shot if they run a competent campaign, but what yeah. a screw-up. Boy, and I don't know if, Murphy, you probably have, but if if, if listeners go on, uh, you can go on the internet and find these things pretty easily. That Some of the pictures of the of the petitions are just remarkable. I mean, I, I don't understand how anybody would look at them and think. Yeah, yeah. Robert oh, yeah. Gibbs. I mean, it's amazing. To- it, well, and it's like they do this thing. It's, you know, I forget round table. They call them round table petitioners, right? Where you get five, five of these people that are hired and they pass a clipboard around a table and like, you know, I've got light blue ink and Axe, you've got red ink and Murphy, you've got blue ink and every third signature is the different color in the same handwriting. I mean, it's, it is bonkers. Yeah, yeah, and let me tell you, if Republic, if Democrats did this and Republicans fell for it, then, you know, kudos to the Democrats for being smart enough to outsmart the literally the stupidest Republicans who can't gather 15,000 signatures in the entire state of Michigan. Yeah. Well, let, let me say I'm from Chicago. I know nothing about this kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> the, the you know, as a matter of fact, Gibbs knows this. Uh, Barack Obama yes. uh, won his first uh uh, election State in Senate. part because uh, he knocked a, a very formidable opponent, in fact, the incumbent, yeah. uh, off the ballot because she had inadequate numbers of signatures. This is like an impardonable sin, okay, in politics. If you can't get this right, you probably shouldn't be governor of <laughs> yeah, Michigan, The rest of the right? job seems hard, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Oh, it's, it's a two-car funeral. Yeah. The guy you were talking about, by the way, is Perry Johnson. It's interesting. Both Johnson, who's the millionaire who uh, got tossed off, and uh, the chief, Craig, you know, were new to politics, and they put their faith in others to get this done and uh, were unsophisticated about it and going to pay a big price for it. So it, what it means is the, there is a higher likelihood. You know, you know the funniest part, Wolf- the, the hilarious part is so Johnson, his gimmick in the campaign is I invented quality control. Yes. <laughs> well, not yeah. with signatures. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you picked up on a point, Murphy, that I want to just double click on here. You got a, an atrocious political environment for Democrats. X, as you said, Whitmer, you know, or, or you or Murphy said, Whitmer's got really not great numbers, bad numbers. I'd heard of DGA polling earlier in the year that showed her losing by a comfortable margin. The challenge that the system is going to have is that the guy that was in charge of quality control, who was probably going to be a pretty conservative governor if he were to beat Whitmer, now you know a lot of these common sense guys, are they're going to get knocked off the ballot. Not that right. every one of them is a common sense guy. But you're going to talk talk about fringe that could end up in the governor's mansion uh, in Lansing or in Senate seats around the country is, you know, I, I've joked about it. We laugh about some of these candidates. Some of them are going to end up with real important jobs. Somebody's going to end up, you know, yeah. in a classified briefing in Washington. And, you know, it, it is it is scary. I'll never forget when I was working in Canada, in Ontario, which I can now admit, one year, out of third place, the NDP, which was kind of the Bernie left party, won the provincial elections. And one of the old Tories called me up and goes, yeah, it's so funny. Yesterday, I took the bus to work. Uh, and three days later after the election, uh, my new colleague is the guy who was driving the bus, <laughs> you know, because they, they were swept in and the whole candidate list made it. Uh, the one to watch in Michigan now is Tudor Dixon, by the way. she She's kind of a pundit, attractive candidate, hasn't been able to break through, doesn't have money, but has some smart people. This is the one that DeVos is just... The uh, DeVos has just backed her, yeah. Yeah, the DeVos yeah. are online. There'd be probably a super PAC. She's good on TV. And not crazy, not my kind of Republican, but not crazy. So she has a good chance to break through now, and she could get elected. Her yeah. dream could come true here. But but it's fair to say that the governor is going to have probably a more a preferable opponent than she would yeah, have had. The biggest no doubt. winner is, is Whitmer by far in this. this but, and the question is just whether the – I mean, I think we all agree there's going to be a strong – Republican tied in the fall. Every indication is that. And the question is, I think her standing actually is not bad in, in the state, but 
if Biden is 12 underwater, that's a heavy tide. Yeah. And, you know, one thing about these elections, I, in the, uh, I think I read in the first uh, 10 primaries, not counting yesterday, I think yesterday's will add to this, you know, Democratic turnout was up like 2%, Republican turnout up, you know, over 30. Now, some of that has to do with uh, the fact that there were competitive Republican primaries. Yeah, I mean, I don't, but, I don't but, know that that's... But no, but when you put it together with Virginia and the governor's election there... Yeah, it's a trend. ...where Democratic turnout was up, but Republican turnout was up significantly more, those are concerning uh, statistics from a Democratic standpoint because they do, they, they do seem like a harbinger. Now, we'll see. We'll see what this gun thing does. We'll see what the choice... Uh, issue does when uh, the court finally rules on Roe. But, you know, the headwinds are very strong. And you look at the economic stats uh, and just the state of the world, just watch the news. And uh, it better not to be the incumbent party this year. And so, you know, you Whitmer, need, Whit- Whitmer needed this. I think she needed this. Yeah, what's changed for Whitmer in a true swing state, and as David says, a lousy year, she now has three tools to work with. She's going to have a not great Republican candidate who's vulnerable to being defined, who won't have a base that knows him or her. I think it'll probably be Dixon. Two, the choice issue, which in the Detroit suburbs and even parts of West Michigan now are going to be something uh, that may turn into, depending on how the timing of the road decision and guns and guns too. Uh, so Whitmer has stuff to work with now, but you're right. That 12 foot wall of water that's coming is nothing to uh, take lightly. Oh, undoubtedly. But I, I think to your point, largely on the issue set here, I mean, I think one of the challenges that you have both politically in the fall, but legislatively right now around guns is it's an, it's an animating issue on both sides. I don't, I don't, I mean, there may be 60 or 70% of people that favor background checks, but I, I think when push comes to shove, I don't think it, I don't, I don't think there's a huge advantage in the issue set of, of, of guns or choice necessarily between Democrats and Republicans in the fall. The reason choice and guns have the potential to make a difference is because Democrats were not as motivated to turn out. And there are voters, particularly younger voters, who may feel moved to turn out because of they that. Could. They certainly could. I mean, the NBC poll showed right. there was a tick in that, but Post that, row, yeah. but there was still a huge gap between where Republicans and Democrats are. Yes, it may it may close the right, gap, but, and, but it went from it went from seventeen to to eight or something or nine. So yeah, you're you know, halfway I there. Think, yeah, you're halfway so, there. Now the so, challenge is, is the challenge is for those young people is whether or not if nothing gets done. Right. No, I know absolutely. They may say, "Well, screw if that." There's no yeah. fight about it. I mean, you know. I mean, you know, we, we, we can we're we're an audio podcast and we can show you the video of the number of times Joe Biden has gone out there to talk about the choice ruling. It's right. none. Get out right. there. If you're <laughs> if you want to close the freaking gap, pick a fight. Get out there. He'll have another he'll have another chance. In June. Yeah, he, he always has another chance. Go do it. The best outcome for the Dems will be that Roe turns into a turnout issue and right. guns turn into a suburban persuasion issue. Right. And right. together, that's a pretty good cocktail for them. But boy, oh boy, those headwinds are big. Yeah. So uh, you want to talk about PA on the way out the door? Yeah, just quickly because it's so <laughs> ironic. Well, right now, the great Oz is ahead by about 940 <laughs> votes. The McCormick people were saying, oh, wait till Allegheny comes in. That's our, well, that didn't work. It trimmed it. It tightened it, but it's not enough. Yeah. So now we're in this, this funhouse mirror situation where the McCormick people are going right. to court based on a, a, a ruling that already exists, that ballots that come in without the date written on them, although they are stamped, so we know if they're legit or not, if they're stamped yeah. election day or pre, they get counted, but they're going in to kind of codify that. The RNC, many think to help buttress Trump's win-loss record, particularly I think that pressure will turn up after the wipeout he had in Georgia, yeah. are saying they're going to oppose it. So McCormick is making the argument the Democrats made, which right, I think right. legally is correct, about those ballots, well, RNC Incorporated and the Oz campaign are saying, hell no. So I've, I've said from mid-election day, I think Oz would squeak it out. But McCormick is totally right about this. And I'm sure the Senate committee, as opposed to the RNC, which is just a Trump puppet factory, would mo- hope McCormick will prevail here because they'd much rather he be the nominee. It is an unbelievable mess around whether Republicans in Pennsylvania think we should count votes in years that end in zero, but not in years that end in two. It's just it's right. um, 
It's remarkable. Trumponomics. It really is. It's yeah. situational Situational ethics is no is doubt. What it is. So uh, we should uh, apologize for the second straight week, but we had so much to talk about that our mailbag is just getting bigger and bigger. Poor Allison, our producer, has she stooped over from carrying this huge mailbag from uh, week to week. But next week, we're going to relieve her bird because we're going to take. A triple dose. Yeah, we're going to have the mega mailbag episode. And hey, mailbag palooza. So it'll be a triple mailbag. Send them to hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hex on Tap newsletter with Gibbs and I. It's free twice a week by email, hacksontap.bulletin.com. Our merch guy took off over the border. We can't find <laughs> him, so don't go to the store till we get the prosecution done. And uh, <laughs> he's currently doing signatures in Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we go, you, you guys, we have to end where we started. Last night, we were uh, on the air and what was described what uh, about what was going on in Texas was that the families of these kids were taken yeah. to a reunification center and they waited for these buses to arrive with children hoping and praying that their child would be among them. And for those who had the horror of not, not seeing their kids get off the bus, they then had to go to, to a place where their kids were horribly, horribly deformed by uh, assault weapon fire to try and identify them from the clothes they were wearing because so many of these kids were uh, unrecognizable. It is unthinkable, the horror that these families went through. And I think I speak for all of you guys and everybody who listens to this podcast that we all ache for them. And that doesn't help in the least. What would help is saving kids in the memory of those children who lost their lives. And let's hope that that we can find the courage to do that. But we should close with these young people and their families on our minds. Yeah, and I would say hug your children tightly today and pray for those who don't have that option to be able to do anymore. The anger we feel about this has to continue because that's the only way to get action. 